awesome episode of the Pastors of Pain show here in uh, what we what we low-key refer to as uh, God's Country uh, America. God's Country America, Stillwater, Oklahoma, coming here live from, well, not live, I guess it's like pre-recorded, but from uh, <laughs> Pete FM, uh, wishing you all a, a blessed Father's Day this, uh, this coming Sunday. It's Father's Day this coming Sunday. Right, I, 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 I take your word on it. People that, tell me when the holday is. Do people I, tell you? I, I like, do it. Doesn't your iPhone tell you when the holiday is? No, it doesn't. Uh, I don't you have, have an iPhone. You don't have an iPhone, so you're not being <laughs> you're not being blasted with propaganda at all uh, times. This is not Father O'Brien, by the way. Oh, I know, I know. I was about to explain to them. Not Father O'Brien on the phone today. Uh, this is, we got we got a special guest, Father O'Brien. O'Brien is out at the Life Teen Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. And because he's out there in Phoenix, Arizona, he either A, can't buy locate or C, can't call in. Uh, so we uh, we got we to gotta substitute Father Brian O'Brien. And you're like, substitute? I'm not really sure what that means. But yeah, we got a substitute Father Brian O'Brien. His name is? Chris Petrin. Chris Petrin. Chris Petrin. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. Your first time on the Old Pastors of Pain show? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, uh, tell the uh, tell the good people. Just give them a little thirty second snippet of who you are. You're from Stillwater. Your name is Chris Petrin. I'm already leading them. Yeah, in. Go oh jeez. Uh, yeah, Stillwater. Chris Petrin. I went to OSU. Still going to OSU for my PhD. <laughs> oh, uh, your PhD yeah, in mechanical and aero engineering. Also doing a master's in theology. Uh, with the I'm who? With who? Just, oh, with the Augustine Institute. Yeah. Where's the Augustine Institute? Oh, it's in Denver, Colorado. So it's nowhere near me. Are you, you're just doing this online? Do you have to go to their campus and stuff like that? No, I went to the campus once and they were like, huh, well, we don't usually get visitors like you. <laughs> <laughs> so you do it all online, but the yeah. classes are live or pre-recorded or what? Oh yeah. They're well, it's a mix. Sometimes they're live. Most of the time they're pre-recorded and then you get to talk to the professor live later. But Oh, sweet. Yeah. So Chris and I, uh, you got baptized what year? 2017. You were a, uh, by you. Uh, by me, by me. You were a faithful agnostic or atheist or didn't care? <laughs> a faithful agnostic, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Not, you know, we still have to yeah. say, well, I'm a faithful Catholic. And what does that mean? Uh-huh. I'm a, were you a, uh, I was they a say practicing a pra- agnostic. A practicing yeah. agnostic. People are like, I'm a practicing Catholic. What does that mean? Uh, you were a practicing agnostic. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, You're you. welcome into the life of the Holy Trinity. Uh, and you got baptized and started receiving the sacraments. And Indeed. Sweet. Yeah. And now you're working on a PhD in mechanical aerospace. And a master's in theology. And I just got engaged. You got engaged? Uh-huh. To a wonderful woman named Amanda. Uh, Amanda Hug and Kiss? Uh, Amanda Fiorato. <laughs> it was a joke. It was, <laughs> was an old say. school joke from The Simpsons. Okay, so what we're going to dive in today, Chris and I do this a lot. We do this thing called chatechesis with the college students, and we do it throughout the school year. During the summertime, we do this thing called diving deeper, where we take a topic. Chatechesis is like... We take a topic for usually like two or three weeks and then go like we we basically chat about it. And uh, what is diving deeper? Diving deeper is we take a topic during the summertime and go deep into it. And I, I think I, I, the topic we wanted to go to today is we wanted to – Chris and I were talking about this and said we think people take Christianity way too lightly. Yeah. Both intellectually that it's just like, oh, Christianity is not really something important. It's just, you know, have coffee, play some uh, praise and worship music, and then Bob's your uncle, you're done. You forgot donuts. And some donuts, the classic post-church donuts. Okay, so that that's the idea of what Christianity is. And so what we, what we, we took a topic 
the incarnation. And we said, people don't know enough about the incarnation or they take it so shallowly that they don't see the importance of the incarnation or the incarnation's effect on our lives and what is then calling us out. So I, 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 so first of all, what is the incarnation? Oh, God became man. Okay. So in just like Nacho Libre in flesh, carne <laughs> in like God took flesh. So that, that's the starting point. The incarnation is that the second person of the most holy Trinity, the word, the logos in Greek, then took on flesh and his name is Jesus. Jesus. Okay. That Did is. I pass? Pardon? Did I pass? You passed. You got an A plus <laughs> for that. So his name is Jesus. So I, as we're going to dive into this, I'm going to, I'm going to post questions to Chris, but I just want to give you some resources. Like I actually want you and Chris wants you and Father O'Brien would want you as well to actually do some research on the incarnation. So if you've never read like Wednesday, January 9th, 2023, Pope Benedict Sixteenth, general audience on the year of faith wrote something called he became a man, capital H, he became a man. And so he then quotes, not himself, as I did in a paper one time, I quoted myself, <laughs> and they wrote in there, you cannot cite yourself, you're not published. Who does Who does he cite? He cites Irenaeus. Who's Irenaeus? Uh, second century bishop, one of the first apologists of the church, one of the first really well-known theologians of the church. Yeah. And he's Irenaeus of Lyon. Of Lyon, but he's from Greece. Yeah, yeah. So he went to France to evangelize people. And so Pope Benedict XVI quotes Irenaeus of Lyon saying, and he says, stated, For this reason is the why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of Man. So that man, man and woman, hominus, by entering into communion with the Word, big W, Word, and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. Adversus Heraseus 3,19. Go look it up. Go look up Irenaeus against the heretics. Why did God become man? I mean, he says right the purpose, so that man and woman could become sons of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But, yeah, you know, St. Paul will say that as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the, and so, St. Peter. Yeah, and St. Peter. So I want you to go as, as a listening audience here and really actually take um, our, our commissioning seriously to, to go and read something about the incarnation and what it is. Okay, so I have a book by John R. Willis' father. He's a Society of Jesus. He's a priest. And it's called The Teaching of the Church Fathers by Ignatius Press. And if you go to section 10 on the incarnate word, it is all there. It's got little quotes and it starts just citing the first three and four centuries of Christianity. Like it begins with a quote from Clement of Rome, and then the letter of Barnabas, and then Ignatius of Antioch, and then the martyrdom of Ignatius, and the epistle of Diogesius, and the letter of Clement to the Corinthians, and then Justin Martyr. Who are all those people, Chris? Uh, some of them are saints. Most of them are saints. Yeah. They're all the, the men who helped found the church everywhere in the Mediterranean world, right? Justin Martyr's this crazy philosopher who meets an old guy on a beach 
and has a conversation with him and realizes, oh, no, Christianity is the true philosophy. And he's so convicted of it that he goes all the way from Samaria next to Jerusalem all the way to Rome to teach and get martyred with all of his followers. I, it, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That, that these people are teaching on the incarnation that God has become flesh so that man and woman could become sons of God. Uh, the, the second book I'm reading is The Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Dr. Ludwig Ott. And it, like he, his section and part two on the redemption in general, the purpose of the incarnation, I mean, it is detailed and brilliant. That the book concept scares me. And the possibility of what'd you say? So that book scares me. The book's like <laughs> frightening because it goes line by line. A good German, the necessity for freedom <laughs> and of redemption. Fallen man cannot redeem himself. Like it goes line by line of telling you like the work of the redeemer. The second person of the Most Holy Trinity becoming flesh. Chris, yeah. but we're going to bounce off this because we have two two things we're going to talk about today. Well, we have three. Yeah. Text. Yeah. Find some text. Not not only the Catechism, but the Church Fathers and the and the fundamentals of Catholic dogma. Uh, the early Church Fathers, the first three or four centuries of Christianity on the Incarnation. Hit it. What well, else we got? Well, I was going to add Saint Athanasius. Saint one Athanasius. Of the best readings. Tiny little book. On the Incarnation. Wrote it before he became a bishop. He's a priest fighting Arianism. Right? That's my recommendation. Athanasius. How do you spell his name? Oh. A-T-H-A-N. A-C-I-U-S. Look up Athanasius against who? Oh, it's On the Incarnation. On the Incarnation. He's he, But he's disputing Arian who denies that Jesus is truly divine. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So, like, what was that? We had two questions. We, we had two questions. Is what, 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 what does it mean, right? God became man. How, how do we, how do we like reconcile that intellectually? Because okay. God gave us an intellect. Okay. Let's, let's just dive into that one. Go. Oh, yeah. We'll just dive into the first 800 years of church history. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The the, first what, eight- what, what we needed, the first seven ecumenical councils, all the way from Nicaea to Constantinople to, to, to answer. Yep. In we go. <laughs> okay, let's let's cover it in twenty minutes. What we got left? God is fully man. Our Jesus is fully man, fully God. Whoa. Okay. What does that come from? What do you mean? What? Well, that like, why, why would that? Why would that state statement need to be said? Oh, because every ever since Jesus revealed Himself, we've been looking for a way to make Him either only God or either only man. What's the consequences of like of doing one or the other? Well, we deny. We deny He saved us. That's ultimately that's what it means, right? If he's not fully God, he can't offer himself for us. If he's not fully man, he can't share that with us. Okay. So what like what's the origins of he's fully God? We have to believe that he's fully God and fully man. Is there a, a opposition to this or? Uh, I mean, it starts early in the church, right? We already see Paul arguing about it, Peter arguing about it. Like the Gnostics come around. These people who believe the body is bad, the matter is bad, and therefore Jesus couldn't have been matter. So we have the church teaching. No, he is. He took a body. The body is not bad. And this is what St. Paul is arguing. The body is not bad because he says, remember that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He's arguing that like you can't say the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. All of this thing, the incorporating in the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, that the body is beautiful and good. God meant what he said in Genesis, that it's in his image, right? It is good. 
Yes. And he declares all of creation good, not just the body, all of creation good, but humans are very good. So right? you're saying that the Gnostics in the first couple of years of Christianity, they were like, they were trying to weave themselves into Christianity or call themselves Christian, yeah. the Gnostics were? Yeah, it actually predates Christianity. There's Jewish Gnostics, and it all comes from this idea. The ancients had no problem saying that God is active in human affairs. They had a problem with saying that a human could actually be that God, right? That's the reverse of now. Is we Now we say Jesus is just a man and not God. But the ancients are like, yeah, no, Jesus is God. He's not a man. And the oh. church boldly says, no, he's both. He's both. <laughs> he's both. Because it, if he's God and he's crucified on the cross, God can't die. Yeah. And he exactly. can't go down into the tomb exactly. and raise people from the dead. Exactly. So that therefore we're not saved. Yeah. But the opposite side, you're saying like, if we just say he's just a dude in his flesh, then the Gnostics would say God can't enter in that because flesh is evil. The second part of that is if flesh dies and it's not divine, it can't be redeemed. Exactly. It's corruptible. It's going to become a skeleton someday. So wait, what counsel did they say? Did they refute this Gnostic and Arian heresies to say, whoa, 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 whoa. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. No mixing, no mingling. Every single one of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, early on, people like Athanasius realized, okay, if we say he's not fully God and fully man, then we're going to end up here. So from Nicaea, 325, yeah. And then the next one's Constantinople. It's in the three, I think it's 382, right? Athanasius died and then his successor, St. Basil, takes it up. And then eventually he dies, but his brother leads the council to say, no, no, not only is Jesus fully God, fully man, but also the Holy Spirit is God. Uh -huh. Right. And then we go over to Ephesus about 50 years later. 431. Yep. And the question is, can we call Mary the mother of God? And the answer is yes, because Jesus is God. Yeah. They wanted to call it like Christotokos, like the mother of the Christ and yeah. just try to like eh, blur the lines. Instead, she's Theotokos, the, the, the bearer of God. And now we have to work out, what's it mean for him to be fully man, fully God? Does he have a human mind or just a divine mind? The answer is, yeah, he has both. He has He's both. Fully man, fully God. You go on another 200 years. Does, does he have a human energy? I don't know this particular meaning. It's a, kind of a vague theological term. Uh -huh. But the answer is, yes. Does he have a human blank? Yes. Does is he, he God? Human, yes. Does he have like souls and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Wow. And this, this, so the, these, the first six years, uh, six, six centuries of Christianity were clarifying questions that were being asked. Yeah. Is, is this the case? Is this the case? Is the case? And so each of the councils said, well, let's clarify this. Let's get what is true. Let's argue about this. Let's get what is true. And then declare it to and, be the case. And, and then everybody's got to believe it. Well, and if you're not a Christian... Don't believe this. If you're, but if you're a, a Christian, you got to believe this. And if you're a heretic, you choose not to. That's where heresy comes from. It, it comes from the Greek word for choose. You're choosing to believe something that is not true. <laughs> Which means you have to have a full choice. But yes. And then we even get like in the 700s, we get icons, right? Are, can icons be made? God says, don't make graven images. Well, yes. but a God also became man. So we can present him because he's God. And therefore, if he became man, we all look like God because we're all humans. So you can make icons. Yeah, that, that's right. You can make images of 
the incarnate word of God. Mm-hmm. And then people who don't believe that, who we call them iconoclasts. Yes. Image smashers. It's not a nice name. And it's not a nice name. It, 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 it was, you know, in, um, we've talked about this on previous occasions that, you know, there was these great iconoclasm heresies. There was the one with the, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. He was Emperor Leo the something or other, the iconoclast yeah. emperor. Yeah, who, Leo the iconoclast. Boom, got, yeah. got rid of him. And then we talked about a third iconoclasm heresy, which occurs at the Protestant revolt. Yep. Where they're just like, get rid of these images. Get rid of this stuff. You can't, you can't, you can't, can't. If you but show rid- the cross, I, I, it better not have a body on it. Yes. <laughs> and the third iconoclasm heresy was, we talked about it was like, the post-conciliar time when people thought, oh, this all is all getting in the way of us worshiping the Lord. And so what did they do? They tore down high altars. They pushed yep. out stained glass windows. They got rid of churches. Yep. And so that, uh, you know, I, it's not public or something, but I I mean, now it is public. I mean, I believe that was an iconoclasm heresy. <laughs> I, I agree. Anything that says you can't. The council was not. The way yeah. people thought and interpreted yeah. and went their direction of destroying churches? Indeed. And that's not that's certainly not what the will of the council was. They want sacred artwork. They want, I mean, controversial, they want Latin at mass. Right? <laughs> Whoa, Loki. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this, I, I want you to go find, I want you to go find something on the incarnation that is actually going to inspire you to think and pray. Because, you know, uh, Pope Benedict in his year of faith and Pope Francis in the year of faith that he concluded said that as we grow in knowledge, we grow in relationship to the other. And as we grow in relationship to the other, we grow in faith of the other. And as we grow in faith, we grow in this heavenly life with the other. So I want you all to go um, and find something and study it and read it. You know, go and um, just find like St. Irenaeus. We already talked about him for if, he says, for if in truth, the one suffered and the other remained incapable of suffering and the one was born, but the other descended upon him who was born and left him again. It is not one, but two that are shown forth. Do not error. Jesus Christ, the son of God is one and the same who did by suffering reconcile us to God and rose from the dead, who is at the right hand of the father and perfect in all things. For he did himself truly bring in salvation, since he is himself the word of God, himself the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a little summary of St. Irenaeus. Go find it and read it. Now, Chris, we can't stop there. Uh, I know. Because (laughs) what's our second question that we bounced around? Question is, okay, this is a lot of big words and it's a lot of study. What does this mean to me in like my life daily? How How does the incarnation change my life? Right? Whoa. Well, this quote from St. Irenaeus that I quoted at the very beginning that I cited, it's also in the Catechism number 460 that says, the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that man, by entering into communion with the Word, and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a Son of God. Exactly. I I like, so Athanasius has his version of being above all, he made his flesh an offering for all, but being one of us, he clothed us all in immortality. Right? So what, what does it look like to have... In, like the clothing of immortality. Does that change our life? The answer is yes. It redeems everything in our life. I was thinking about this on the way over, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you can almost play this game if you get someone who's smart enough. I'm not smart enough to do this. But you, <laughs> you could almost do this game of like, 
name a thing humans do that isn't intrinsically evil and I'll show you how Christ redeemed it and made it like a way to become holy. What? You could do this for almost everything I can think of, right? Like work. Most of us, work's a, maybe a necessary evil, right? Most of us don't really love going to work. We do it. But Christ worked, right? But we, we, we don't see it in the Gospels because it's not part of his public ministry. It's part uh-huh. of his private life. But he worked. He worked longer than he was in ministry. And if God entered into it, that thing can be redeemed if it's united to him. Oh, it can be redeemed. Yeah, isn't that a document? Uh, uh, no, 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 no. That was Leo, Leo the Thirteenth, Rerum Novarum, on the new things. Uh huh. That then everybody, every pope after him has written a Santissimus Annus was John Paul II on the redemption of work. Yeah. Second Vatican Council, the like, dignity of workers and work. Uh huh. Yeah, the documents of Vatican II also contain some rich stuff about that. Okay, so it. it it applies to work. What else does it apply to? Like if God became man and dwelt among us and is united his flesh with our flesh and his divinity with our humanity. I like to make the the quick kind of jokey point. I like making up words. Stomatic redemption. <laughs> What's that mean? Stomatic. Okay. Uh-huh. Stoma. Uh-huh. Is, um, is, um, um, stoma. Flesh. Eat. Food? Uh, food? It's your mouth. Your mouth? Like the stomach. Oh. Yeah. Right? So. Stoma. Jesus literally redeems us in our act of eating. What was previously part, like, for the, you know, cats eat that preserves their life. Jesus redeems us and fills us with his divine life as we eat at Mass. Stomatic redemption. That's not the only way, right? He redeems us at meals, but. What? That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. So. Related to that, right? When we're in union with him, suffering, right? Without the redemption of suffering, it wouldn't mean anything. But with it, right? Like with Christ in union with him, particularly in union with the Eucharist, which he's given us, stomatic redemption, Mm -hmm. uh, we can join that, right? It becomes a means of salvation for us and others. The same way his suffering on the cross was. It's not... It's not a role model. We're literally joining it. Mm. I mean, he is a role model, to be clear. But <laughs> <laughs> he's not just a role model. Exactly, yeah. We join in his sufferings. Yeah. And participate in it through our own sufferings. And in a real way, this is we were talking about this. Like people sometimes take the Christianity lightly. We, th- we think, oh, they just use flowery, la- especially Catholics. We j- they just use flowery language. They can't mean that. And the answer is no, we mean it. Right. We don't just use words. We mean the words we use, especially at mass. Long, quiet thinking pause. Okay. What what, what else is it in the what? Like, how does the incarnation affect our daily life as a Christian? Well, it tells us our prayer, right? We can join our prayer with, with God who prayed. You can join our fasting with God who prayed, right? You can join our temptations with God who was tempted. This is what Luke and Matthew both tell us. In fact, Luke reverses the order of the temptations of the garden. Or he doesn't reverse it. He uses the order of the temptations of the garden to present Wait, where? Jesus' temptations in the desert and how he's 
saving us from all of that. <gasps> when when they because they what they first they try to say like, um, did God really say? Uh huh. Ah, do you trust God? And he he says, throw yourself off this uh, off this temple. Yeah. <gasps> oh, Chris, because then he says, um, then he says. You you will eat of this, and they look at the food, and it looks good. And he tempts him with bread. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, what's the other temptation? Uh, the third temptation is I'm just going off of spitball memory right now. <laughs> the third temptation is you will become like gods. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pride. and he says I'll give you all this if you worship me. Uh huh. Oh, I've never noticed that Luke reverses those things. Yeah. So that Jesus in his flesh does what we didn't, and so we can join us ourselves through his grace to his flesh and join in his redemption of everything. But we also have to live in that divine life, as St. Irenaeus said. Amen. Like, we, like if we're living in that divine life, we can battle those temptations. But if we're not living in that divine life, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and so that means then living that divine life because, you know, the it's— I, the, this past week, we've been hearing the readings from Matthew's gospel from the Mount of Beatitudes of Jesus. And he says, like, if you're, if you're, someone strikes you on one cheek, give him the other. Yeah. If he wants to make you uh, walk one mile, wake two. Mm-hmm. He says, if you ask for your cloak, give him your tunic. I preached on that this past, what was that, Tuesday? Yeah. And I said, like, what is Jesus asking us to do? Like, when he says, if they ask for your cloak— Give them your tunic as well. And I was like, what happens if you give away both your cloak and your tunic? You're naked. You're naked. You might even end up naked and on a cross like yes. him. Yeah, you're, you're standing there, but naked before God and country. And now you're like, you're unashamed. But what is it supposed to do? As you participate in this, because that's what Jesus does. It's supposed to bring about the conversion of the other people. Yeah. And so as part of participating in that, because the Roman centurion that has the conversion at the cross when he sees naked, Jesus naked on the cross, he gives he says, them, truly this is oh, the son of God. They He turned the other cheek. He's beat. They, they keep beating him. He doesn't stop them. They take his clothes. And not only do they make him walk one mile, then they make him walk two. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've never thought that Matthew, I need to go back and re-preach that. I'm just going to open it up and start pre-preaching. Just wait a couple years. Uh, Wait a couple (laughs) years. Uh, Okay. Okay. So what are some other things that uh, in our daily life that the incarnation is important for us, that it has, I don't want to say consequences, but yeah, kind of like there's an effect of the incarnation in our daily life. I mean, this is more abstract, but. It tells us about our bodies, right? Especially in this culture, so many of us might like look in the mirror and say, ew, right? We might say, "Uh, that's not good. But that's not what God says. God created the human body and the human soul and said, this is very good. Mm. God deemed it worthy enough to become one of us. Jesus didn't look in the mirror and say, I don't like what I see. Jesus doesn't look at any of us and say, I don't like what I see. He looks, it's the exact opposite. He says, I love what I see, right? The entire song of Solomon, arise my love and come, right? It's just, I love what I see. And that's him to us. Whoa. So, I mean, it, it has an effect, right? How many of us do stuff because we don't value ourselves, right? We might eat too much, do something we shouldn't with our bodies, take 
too much drugs, right? Like that comes from not seeing God became flesh to show us our dignity and to save us. Is that sort of a Gnostic worldview then? Like it the is. flesh is bad. It's exactly. Or, I mean, we have our new Gnosticism is JP2's point in, in theology of the body is John Paul II. Yeah. Yeah. Is well, St. John Paul II. Oh, is, yeah, thank you. We'll, <laughs> we'll double correct each other. Uh huh. Is in the new Gnosticism, the flesh isn't bad. It just doesn't matter. It's only the spirit that matters. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> it's all of it. There's no, you can't take one from the other. The only thing that takes one from the other is death, and that's bad. Wow. Yeah, I just think about like, like, like if we say that our bodies are bad, then we don't, we don't, one, we don't look to the Redeemer and say, keep redeeming me, keep saving me, keep pouring your grace into me. If we say, like, if we live this Gnostic worldview, which you're proposing, yeah. John Paul II is saying, at, Pope John Paul II is saying, at the heart of our culture right now, the Kant, K-A-N-T, Emmanuel Kant's philosophy has permeated our culture with that new Gnosticism that says, your body is terrible and bad. And John Paul, St. John Paul II, the church is saying, no, your body is beautiful and awesome and good and is is a life of grace because God has become flesh and dwells in you that is what even saint Irenaeus says wow Amen. says for this is why the word became man the son of god became the son of man so that by entering into communion with the world and thus receiving divine sonship might become son of god wow chris petrin I think we're at the end of our Pastors the Pain podcast. Don, are we, we're coming to the end. We're coming to the end, and we only got a few seconds left. Uh, well, thank you for our supporters and our donors out there. People pray for us. Uh, truckers who listen to us and moms that are sitting at home enjoying this podcast. Hi, Mom. And, hi, Mom. And some baby theologians out there who are going to be busting at the seams this summer learning more about the Incarnation. Have a beautiful and blessed summer, and we look forward to hearing from you. Peace. Peace.